Thank you so much to the worship team this morning. Uh, Sherry, you know, a few weeks ago, I joked that uh, it was good that you uh, didn't have to translate because I was going to say Heidelberg so many times. Uh, today, I'm going to keep saying Heidelberg. Oh, she only has to spell. Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> We are grateful for Sherry, grateful for the tech team, like Suzanne said, grateful for uh, a band who's willing to play uh, into an empty room. It's a blessing, though, to be together and to be together with you because we, we do believe that you are watching and that you are part of our uh, body and our community this morning. So this morning, as uh, Pastor Suzanne said, we are continuing our Lent series, which is called Anchor. And throughout the series, we have been taking a closer look at question and answer number one, of the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, and in turbulent times like these, I am hopeful that the picture of an anchor is particularly helpful to us. Uh, we are seeing unprecedented things happening in our culture right now, from the cancellation of major sporting events to bans on travel from various countries, and it just keeps on evolving more and more and more. None of us really know what's gonna happen next. Everyone in this room, well, uh, or in the room you're in, I suppose, has been affected or will be affected in some way, and truthfully, there is a sense of unease all around us about what will happen next and how long this whole situation will last. And in the middle of a moment like this one, it is good to be reminded that we belong to a community and we belong to a movement that reaches far back into the past and will continue to reach forward into the future, that we are grounded in a long history and lineage in, of faith, and we have a hope in the future that God has promised us. And it's good to remember that because that allows us to live in this moment and be present in this moment without losing ourselves in the moment. It provides us with calm and comfort during the current storm because it helps us remember that there have been storms weathered by the people of God in the past, and there will be storms that the people of God will continue to weather in the future. The people of God have seen droughts and storms and weathered plagues and disasters, but have always pressed forward in confidence that God always makes a way forward for God's people. God never lets us go. So this morning we've reached the section of the Heidelberg Catechism that says we belong to God body and soul, that we belong body and soul. So as we look together this morning as what it means to belong to God body and soul, let's keep that reality in mind, that as strange and as scary as this time is, that we are anchored together with people of God across time and our hope transcends this current moment. So let's look together this morning at the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that he, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How many of you at home just said thanks be to God like it was an impulse? You didn't even know you were going to say it. There it is. Thanks be to God. So my son, uh, Asher, 
who's listening right now. Asher, stop messing around. You're supposed to be listening. My son Asher was born a week late, a week late. And I think it's fair to say that it was uh, one of the longest weeks of my wife and I's life together. Every day when your uh, child is late, you wake up hopeful. And every day when your child is late, you go to bed disappointed. Every day it's the same cycle of, of hope and anticipation and please, God, let this be the day. And every night you go to bed and, uh, and it was not the day. And so it got to the point where I actually called my mother-in-law and I said, it's time, you should, he'll be born soon. You should just come. It'll be tomorrow, probably. We just needed bailed out. And so uh, she came and it was, four, it was four more days until he was born after that. I mean, it was just a dicey time. So finally, they had to induce labor for my wife, and I had to watch her struggle with back labor, which I think uh, is the most painful thing uh, that ever happened to anybody, uh, and through all of the pain of childbirth and the back labor and all this. And finally, we were able to get the anesthesiologist. When you uh, live in a small town with a small hospital, they don't just have anesthesiologists wandering the halls. Uh, so finally, we were able to get an anesthesiologist in, and, uh, and he was able to give my wife an epidural, which helped with the pain. And at that point, I fell asleep. Yes, I fell asleep like the good husband I was. I couldn't help it. I was exhausted. I was tired. And when I woke up, this is the truth. When I woke up, my wife was in active labor and my mother-in-law was in the room. My wife in labor had called her mom and said, you need to get over here. My husband uh, is asleep right now. And so my mother-in-law is in the room. My wife is in active labor. Uh, and I'm just waking up like, what's going on, man? What? Sorry, I'm just coming, coming too. When it was all over and we'd been taken now to our hospital room, we're there with our son, Asher. My wife looked at me and she said, I can't believe that you fell asleep. I can't believe you fell asleep. And I said to my wife the stupidest words that I've ever said in my life. And that's saying something. I said, that was really exhausting for me. Yeah, that was really exhausting for me. So the author of Hebrews leading up to our passage today has spent most of their letter describing who Jesus is and what Jesus did on our behalf. The author of Hebrews is going about trying to give people a reason for following Jesus. Why can we place our hope in Jesus? Why can we put our trust in Jesus? Why should we follow Jesus? This is, the, this is what the author of Hebrews is talking about. And so up to this point, uh, we've been getting all of these reasons. And now to cap off this section about who Jesus is and what Jesus did, the author of Hebrews is kind of coming and punctuating their teaching with these words. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. In that hospital room with my wife, my words about how exhausting labor was for me were absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I had done nothing, okay? I had just stood there and been like, how can I help? Uh, you can't, okay? So I had been there trying to help and it was exhausting. But my words are stupid because my wife had just experienced labor, for goodness sake. She had gone through this, this intense process of bringing life into the world. And here I am like, oh, I got to take a little nap uh, because I'm a little bit sleepy. There was a huge difference between our experiences, between the tiredness that I felt and her who had just given birth. There was a chasm between them. And so when I said it was exhausting for me, it landed a little bit flat. The author of Hebrews wants to make it clear that unlike me in the hospital room, Jesus really does understand our pains. 
Jesus really does understand our frustrations. Jesus does understand our fears. And all of that is wrapped up in the word that the author of Hebrews uses. Jesus understands our temptations, what it is to be flesh and blood. And it's because Jesus understands those things that we can declare when we read the Heidelberg Catechism uh, that we are loved and cared for and we belong to God, body and soul. Because God took on a human body and became like us and suffered the same temptations and pains that we suffer, we can have confidence that he cares for our bodies. Jesus knows, God knows what it is to have a body, to be afflicted, to be in pain and frustrated. He understands our fears and our doubts. He empathizes with our struggles. God is embodied in the person of Jesus, and because of that, God cares deeply for us as embodied people. And this is the reality that provides the ground for the, what the author of Hebrews says next. Because all of that is true, because uh, God took on the physical body in the person of Jesus and empathizes with what we've gone through and understands our struggles and our pains, because all of that is true, we can have confidence when we approach the throne of God that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Now, I don't know about you, but those words sound different to me this week than they have before. We have confidence that we can receive mercy in our time of need. We receive mercy in the time of coronavirus. We receive mercy in the time of empty grocery store shelves. We receive mercy in the time of fear for our health or the health of our loved ones. Mercy in a time of economic panic. Mercy in a time of uncertainty. So I'm seeing all over the place uh, right now the people of God talking about how God is not the God of fear, so the people of God don't need to be afraid. If you're on Facebook, if you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram, you just have a nice aunt who sends you email forward still. You're seeing this, okay? God is not the God of fear, so the people of God have nothing to be afraid of. And I understand the impulse for saying that. I really do. Because it is true that God is not the author of fear. That is a true thing about God. It's true that God casts out fear. But I wonder if we're missing out on something important. When we say that God is not the author of fear... It is not to make us feel guilty for feeling fearful. When we say that God casts out fear, that's not a weapon to turn against those who are afraid. When we speak these words about God, they are not meant to be used as a, a, a weapon against those who are afraid or a weapon against those who are fearful. They are a reminder that in the throne room of God, we will always find mercy. Talking about this mercy that is offered to us by God, theologian Walter Brueggemann says this. Phyllis Tribble, so he's quoting now another theologian. So I'm quoting a theologian, quoting a theologian, okay? He's not going to get that on another live stream this morning. Uh, Phyllis Tribble has taught us that the Hebrew word for mercy is the word for womb with different vowel points. So the Hebrew language is a little bit confusing. Uh, they don't, uh, some of the words are the same as other words, but they just add little accent marks or add different vowels in different places. So the word here Walter Brueggemann is saying for mercy in Hebrew is the same as the word 
for womb. And so mercy, she suggested, is womb-like mother love. And it is the capacity of the mother to totally give oneself over to the need and reality and identity of the child. Mercy is the capacity to give oneself away for the sake of another. What greater picture could there be of what it means to belong body and soul to God? God loves us with the love of a mother. A mother who sacrifices her plans, her body, her agenda, her health, her very life for the sake of her children. And those children's bodies and souls are developed in the womb, in the mercy seat of humanity. What does it mean to say that we are children of God's womb? How powerful of a picture is it to imagine that we have been formed body and soul by a loving God who sacrifices everything on our behalf? This is why we can find mercy when we enter into the throne room of God. So most nights we end up with a child in our bed. Someone has a bad dream. This happened to me last night, in fact. Someone has a bad dream or needs an extra cuddle and they come into the bed. And no matter which child it is and no matter what drives them to our room, my wife always wakes up before I do. Sometimes I don't even wake up at all. My wife always recognizes the sound of someone crying from down the hall or recognizes the need of someone to come into our bed for a couple extra cuddles. They know when they climb into the bed, they will receive mercy from their mother. Their fears will be calmed, their fast-beating hearts will slow down, and they will know that they belong. These are scary and uncharted times that we are experiencing together. And as much as your Facebook friends would like you to think that they do, no one knows what's going to happen next. No prognosticator is 100% accurate on what is going to happen next in our society and in our lives. These are uncharted waters and there are so many unknowns for us today. And it is okay to be afraid. And it is okay to feel anxious. And it is okay to be worried for your families. But know that when you are anxious or afraid or worried, you don't have to stay that way. That when those feelings rise up in you, you can always call out to God, the one who grew you, the one who loves you, the one who has mercy and grace for you. When you're feeling anxious or worried or afraid, you don't have to remain in that. It's not bad that you feel that way. It's not evil that you feel that way. It's not a lack of faith that is making you feel that way. Those are normal human responses to an unknown situation that you find yourself in. But when you're in that moment, there's no need to stay in that moment because we can approach the throne room of God with confidence knowing that there we will find mercy and we will find grace because we belong body and soul to God, the one who loves us and who grew us and who always is there for us. Let's pray together this morning. God, we are thankful this morning that 
you're not mad at us when we're afraid. God, that you don't see us in our fear and our worry and our anxiety in the midst of the unknown. God, you don't look at us in that place and feel angry and irate and want to yell and scream at us, God. No, no, no. What it says in the book of Hebrews is that you empathize with us in that space, God. Jesus, when you were in the garden, you were fearful. When you were in the garden, you were filled with doubt. When you were in the garden, you had worry. We see this in the book of Mark as the, as the sweat falls down like blood, God. This is a, a real part of the human condition. And God, I praise you that we know that you empathize with us in that space. That you're not angry with us in that space, but that you are our great high priest in whom we can always find mercy and grace because we were formed body and soul in your womb. So God, this morning, as we finish our service here today, as we learn words like social distancing and new tricks to wash our hands better, God, I pray that we would know that we are loved and that we can find mercy in you, that when those feelings rise up, God, we will find you next to us, empathizing with us in our time of need. God, we love you, and we know that you love us infinitely more than we can ever understand or appreciate. Thank you, God. We pray all this in your name. Amen.